morning. I think on the last day of 2023, we can do better than that. We can wake up. Good morning. All right. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. My name is Carl Gutzman. I, and, uh, for those of you that are visiting us online, I'm not one of the pastors here, but it's a privilege to be able to uh, bring God's Word to you on this last day of 2023. I find it kind of interesting because Robbie, Pastor Robbie and I, uh, when we talked probably, what, three months ago when he asked if I could uh, preach this series, this part of the series in Ephesians, and he assigned me Ephesians 2.10, one verse, and I thought, well, that's a good verse. And then just this morning, and I'd been thinking about this this last week, what a great sermon for New Year's, and you'll see what I mean in a few minutes when we get into it. But as I look back at 2023, I realize I've been retired for almost one year. It'll be one year, January 21st. It's hard to believe. Where's the time gone? It went so fast. And it seems like the older I get, and those of you that are like me that are older, doesn't it seem like the years go faster and faster and faster? I actually read an article about that once some time ago, and it said the, the psychological reason for that is, and I don't know how much science there is behind this, but that doesn't stop people from writing articles, right? They can write whatever they want, but it made sense. They said the reasoning behind that is because every, as you get older, every year is a smaller fraction of your life. So for me, it's one-sixty-fifth of my life. Now, when you're five years old, it's one-fifth of your life, so it seems like a long time. But for me, it seems like just a flash in the pan, and so this year has gone very quickly uh, and very fast. Just yesterday, I heard on the, the radio on the news about a recent poll that was taken about, of Americans of whether they thought 2023 was a good year or a bad year. Anybody want to predict what the outcome was? More than 50% of Americans said 2023 was not a good year. Not surprising with all the things that are happening in the world today. Uh, people are beginning to feel like a Christian scientist with appendicitis. The rest of you can look up what Christian scientists believe when you get home. Christian scientists don't believe in going to doctors. That's an old joke from the comedian in the 60s. Christian scientists... With appendicitis, worried, right? Okay, yeah. Test, test of your faith there, right? But it has been. It has been a test, I think, of many of us, for many of us, of our, a challenge for our faith of what's happening in the world, what's happening in communities, what's happening uh, in our own lives. Came across an article. Uh, it went out in Google, you know, the authoritative source. You all go to Google to learn anything. If it's on the Internet, it must be true. But I googled, what, do people f or what are people looking for for purpose and fulfillment in a year? And I came across this article by Ben Blankenship from James Madison University. It's a secular article. And he had an article called Strategies for Making 2024 More Fulfilling. And he came up with this outline. He said uh, basically four things. Find a new activity. Pretty good. And we'll talk about that. Volunteer. Great advice. We'll talk about that. Become or remain politically active. Hmm, we'll come back to that in a minute. And finally, express gratitude. That's probably the best one of all of them because that fits exactly with what Ephesians 2.10 is telling us, and you'll see in a minute when I get to it. But I want to revisit that third, political, or that third point. And first of all, I want to say nothing against politics or people involved in politics. I think we should be involved in politics. But what I found fascinating is this was a secular article, and the best they could come up with to find fulfillment, the highest good was to serve the human king, politics. Ephesians 2.10 says the highest goal, the highest purpose we can find is to serve the king of kings. 
And so I just cross out politically and write in spiritually, perhaps. Uh, remain or become spiritually active, which may include becoming involved in politics, among other things, because I think God has called us to be involved. But the world sees, the, the point I'm making is the world sees solutions as solely economic and political issues. And in reality, there's much more to life than that. And there's a whole spiritual realm. Fulfillment comes when we are spiritually alive in a walk with Christ. And so Ephesians 2.10, hopefully that's the next slide. If not, I made a big mistake. Yes, thank you. <laughs> for, we are Christ, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Pastor Robbie and Pastor Dan have been preaching through Ephesians, and uh, Pastor Robbie presented an outline for the chapter 2 of Ephesians some time ago, and the outline was this. Uh, verses 1 to 7, God's work for us. He made us alive in Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We are, uh, have become a child of God through, through faith in Christ. And then he goes on and Paul talks about the fact that God's work is in us. We're saved by grace through faith. And I think Dan talked about that a couple Sundays ago, a few Sundays ago. And then thirdly, and this is my, my point today, God's work through us. And we have the privilege, once we become followers of Christ, to become involved in joining God in his work. And then the final part of the chapter. I think Robbie will be preaching next week, so join us. More to come, and better yet, God's work among us. But we are God's workmanship, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a very important word. It's a small word at the beginning of the, of the verse, but it's an important word, and it's the word for. We often, when we're reading Scripture, we like to get to the big, beefy words, you know, like redemption and reconciliation. We forget that those little prepositions mean something. And the word for is a conjunction, I believe. I'm not a grammarian, but it's a conjunction which refers back to what was previously just... Somebody's nodding yes, so I must be right. Are you, are you an English major? All right, did I get it right? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I'm not totally lost. By the way, when I, it shows you my... Uh, upbringing, I, I had a blowout for junior high. It's a long story. We had a terrible school system. Um, one of those where you worked at your own pace, which means as a seventh, sixth and seventh grader, you do nothing for two years because that, that was what I chose to do. So I had no grammar. When I got to seminary, I had to learn a foreign language. First thing they throw up is genitive accusative dative, and I'm like, I'm totally lost. First day of Greek language, I'm totally lost. I actually had to, and then fortunately I wasn't the only one in the class. It was a remedial Greek class because we were supposed to have that before we got to seminary. So the teacher spent the first week teaching us English grammar because you can't understand a foreign language until you understand the parts of a sentence. That, anyway, I digress. But the word for refers back to what was just said, and Paul has just been finished saying, for by grace are you saved through faith and not by our own works, lest anyone can boast. So God saved us for, and you could replace that with, for the purpose of or for the reason of or for the outcome of doing good works in us. So Ephesians 10 provides the outcome of our salvation. It's not just we go to heaven. That's a privilege. It's not just that we have uh, forgiveness of sins, but we have a new life. We have a recreation. God is at work in us to recreate us, to build what was lost. And that makes us raise several questions. 
that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2.10. First of all, what plan does God have for us? What plan does God have for us? For we are, he says, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to take the phrases of the text in order, so just forgive me for that. I'm going to rearrange them a little bit, but we'll cover it all. What plan does God have for us? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You might also say we are God's workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus because God is trying to recreate us into what was lost at the fall. When man fell in the Garden of Eden and we lost everything. Everything about us was corrupted, emotional, spiritual, political, financial, physical, and the world itself, the, 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 the creation groaned and suffered because of it. And so God is at work in Christ Jesus to recreate, and God is the master craftsman. He's the master workman, uh, workmanship. The word workmanship is actually the idea of a, of a, of a master builder creating something. Uh, Interestingly enough, about a month ago when I started focusing on this, I, I wanted to text my sister to get a photograph of the cathedral in the town that she's in, and I forgot to do it. Well, guess what she sent me on Christmas Eve? A photograph of her cathedral from the Christmas Eve service. And the reason I have this picture up here is, what a, I don't know if you're into architecture, but from an architectural standpoint, isn't that a beautiful facility? This is in a town of 800 people in Iowa. And some time ago, the, the building was in pretty rough shape. I don't know, it must have been about 20 years ago, they, they had an endowment to recreate the cathedral. Now, they couldn't just have, no offense to the local carpenters, they couldn't just have the local carpenters come in, and I'm sure the Vatican worked with them on this, but they got master builders, master artisans from Italy to come over to a small town in Bancroft, Iowa, and spend months... And I remember visiting there, and they had the scaffolding up and the gold leaf up there, which normally gold leaf doesn't appeal to me, but it was just done so beautifully and tactfully, it doesn't show up well. They're up there on the scaffolding rubbing little sheets of gold leaf. I mean, this was done hand. Detail work was so detailed to, to, to recreate that sanctuary. And this photograph doesn't even do it justice when you walk in there. The colors and the stained glass windows, everything about it is just perfect. Now, if... Human beings can recreate something that beautiful. And human artisans can create something that beautiful. And there's other artwork, of course, that is beautiful. What about the master craftsmen that created the whole universe? Have you ever gone out at night and just looked at the sky? And maybe, Dan, you'll be doing this in a little bit, looking at real mountains, you know, again. And you look at that and you just marvel at the beauty of God's creation. He is the master craftsman. And... Paul says he is at work in us in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. He's recreating us into his likeness and into what he wants us to be. Now, what this means for us is that God didn't save us to have us spiritually retire. <laughs> I think sometimes people think salvation by grace through faith is sort of like a paid-up insurance policy. It's in the desk drawer. Uh, you don't worry about it till you die, and then you go to heaven. But that's not what it's about. He saved us for a purpose, and he, he's at work in us as a master craftsman to recreate us to do his work. God did not intend for us to be passive participants in his working in us. Next slide, please. Thank you. God didn't intend for us to be passive participants. It's not like we become a Christian and then just kind of spiritually retire. That's not what he wants. My dad used to say I was born lazy and had a relapse. 
Retirement fits me really well. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> he joked that work didn't scare me away. I could sit down next to us and ignore it. It didn't scare me off. <laughs> so we're tempted to be passive in the work that God has done for us and to retire spiritually after becoming a Christian, but that's not in God's intent. Uh, there's a joke about three pastors who are arguing about how they tithe and the right way to tithe. And uh, this joke didn't really fit, but it's just a great joke, so I'm going to tell it. it, 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 it I, I kind of crowbarred it into this topic here of, you know, being spiritually retired, of uh, being spiritually passive. These three pastors are arguing about the proper way to tithe, and the one guy says, well, I, I, I draw a circle, and I stand in the middle of it, and I take all my money, and I throw it up in the air, and whatever lands inside the circle I keep, and whatever lands outside the circle is what I give back to God. The second one says, no, 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 you're all wrong. Draw a line in the sand, and you straddle the line, and you throw all your money up, and whatever lands on the left is for God, and whatever lands on the right you get to keep for yourself. And the third one says, no, no, you're both wrong. I take all my money, I throw it up in the air, and I figure what God keeps, he'll grab in the air, and I keep the rest. <laughs> Unfortunately, we all kind of act that way sometimes in our spiritual life. It's like we just expect God to do it, but we don't want to be a participant in his doing, Right? We're to be active participants. Being saved by faith through grace and not by our own works doesn't mean that there isn't something involved in the aftermath. And that aftermath is God's recreation in us, and we have an active part to play in that. So what is the purpose of which we're being built? To do good works, Paul tells us. To do good works. Uh, several other texts. Jesus, uh, in John chapter 5, said this. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, he continues, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. God is doing work for us, and he sent Jesus Christ to do his work on earth. Now, if we are to be Christ-like, it doesn't mean we do exactly the same things Christ does. We don't die on the cross for other people. But we, like Christ, are to join God in his work and be doing, going about the Father's business. That's the whole purpose of God saving us. It's, the, it's consistent with the reason Christ came. He, Jesus was always doing the Father's work, and he calls us to join him in doing that work. So another question that arises is, when did God prepare us for this work? Notice it said, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This is kind of the most exciting part, and I don't want to get into a lot of stuff about predestination this morning again, but it's a big part of Ephesians chapter 2. But I want us to, to look at Psalm 139. Way back as we were being knit in the, in the mother's womb, God already knew us and had a plan. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And it's more than just the number of days was written in the book. It's all of our days and what our life is to be like was written before we were even born. And Paul said this earlier in Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Uh, before he talked about the work of salvation, he said, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out, notice that same word, works out everything in conformity for the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. We have the privilege, friends, of joining God in his work and giving him praise. Our primary work, I think, is giving God praise and reconciling others to God. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 20. All this is from God, and this is where we can join Jesus in this work of reconciling people. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want to pause for a moment here and talk about the work of reconciliation. That's the work the pastors do, right? <laughs> They're the paid professional evangelists, right? Well, Dan, I'm sorry to see you go. And best wishes to you. But the thing I find interesting is that in a healthy church, and of course, Dan is leaving, but Robbie's staying, right? Okay, right? Yep, okay. Just want to make that clear. But in a healthy church, even when the pastor leaves, the work of reconciliation continues. Why? Somebody have an answer? Because the work of the pastor is not just to do the work of the ministry, but to do what? To prepare others for the work of the ministry. And interestingly, as a church grows, I've had these thoughts lately, as our church grows, there's a lot of you I don't know very well. That's actually a good thing in one sense because it means we're growing. And as a church grows, there's more to be done than any one pastor or pastors could possibly do. And it becomes more important for the congregation to pick up the slack of the work of God, especially in the area of reconciling people to God, bringing them into a walk with Christ, into faith in Christ and into a walk with Christ. And so we all have a charge from God. The, the, one of the main, if not the main work that we do is to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, of bringing the world to Christ and bringing others to Christ. And, and in what context do we do that? What is the context in Ephesians for doing the work God has called us to do? And we find that in Ephesians 2, 1 to 9, that we're to do this in Christ, meaning the first prerequisite is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and become born again into new life in him. But the other context is in community, Ephesians 2.22, and Robbie, I think, will probably be working on that one next week, so I won't steal his thunder. But we don't do this in isolation. There's no such thing, and you've heard this phrase before, as a lone ranger Christian in the Bible. It's done in community. That's where God use, works in us and through us and through other people. And we also do it in Ephesians 3.20, and Robbie, I'm sure, will get to that uh, eventually, in his power. So the context is in Christ, in his community, and in his power. Now, we've talked a lot about good works, but I haven't told you what the good works are other than the ministry of reconciliation. Well, let's just use a few kind of examples or, or areas or topics. First of all, what do the good works look like? In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love 
one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Bible doesn't say people will know that you're my disciples because you go to church every day or every Sunday, but that's not a bad thing to do. Or because you abstain from certain things or you do certain other things. In the end, what people really care about when they look at a Christian is, does this person care for me? Does this person love me? And does this person love other people? Because that's the image of Christ. And so the number one command, the number one work, is the ministry of reconciliation is carried out through love for one another, both the people in the community and outside the community. But also, the good works look like this. The Bible uh, calls us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. These are the things we're called to avoid. Sin is destructive. And sin can be destructive to our testimony. I remember a, a waitress that I knew one time that was telling about an incident that happened at work, and she was a, a vocal Christian. Everybody looked to her, and Robbie, you've kind of told the story in the past about working as a Toyota salesman and how the other people looked at you and called, I think they called you Rabbi Robbie or something like that, or Pastor Robbie, because he, he was a well-known Christian. Well, this, this was, a, in a good way, a vocal Christian at, at this restaurant. And one day she dropped a bus tub, crashed. Everybody in the restaurant heard it, and she said a bad word. <laughs> Everybody heard it. And uh, somebody asked her later, said, well, I thought you claimed to be a Christian. And I thought she salvaged it very well by saying, I am, and that's why I need a Savior, because I make mistakes like that. You know, we're going to make mistakes. But we don't have to intentionally keep on sinning because it only harms ourselves. God wouldn't need to recreate us into what he wants us to be if there wasn't sin in our life. A popular phrase today for people to excuse their bad behavior is, God made me like this. No, God made you perfect. Sin made you like this, and God wants to recreate you out of that. And so one of the steps, uh, one of the good works he calls us to is to make no provision for the flesh, the flesh being those sinful desires. But then there's, there's also a positive. There's the things that we're called to do, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the... Uh, oh, something was wrong with that slide anyway. Anyway, there's things we, we're called to do. We, we put on Christ. This is that active part I was talking about. We don't just wait around and say, okay, God, if you want to use me, use me. We need to be pursuing serving God, and God will work through us when we do. There's many ways to do that, but one of the things I mentioned was in community. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are given to everybody, and he says there are different kinds of gifts, but they, all, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways the Spirit works. But the same God is working in all these ways, and in, notice the word, all people, all his people, the Holy Spirit is given to each one of us in a special way. That is for the good of all. Each one of us has a gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us to build up the body and to serve in community. And God, one of the good works that we do is to use that gift for the glory of God to serve others and to serve God. If you stop to think about it, 
It's an amazing thought to think that the God of the universe wants to use me, and he wants to use you. Stop and ponder that for a minute. Stop to ponder that for a minute. We have such a privilege of joining God in his work. So, what could we do for a more fulfilling 2024? Well, several suggestions. We can find our purpose by joining God in his work. If you want a New Year's resolution, start with, I'm going to recommit myself to a closer walk with Christ to have him be the focal point of my 2024 and the years beyond. Um, there's many ways you can do that. Robbie mentioned one this morning. You can download the app and do the read through the Bible. That would be a place to start. Uh, you can get involved in a community group at our church if you haven't already. Uh, there's many ways to get involved. You could uh, figure out what your gift is. You could talk to people if you don't understand gifts and, and how you fit into the, the puzzle we call a church and a community and how you can use that gift. And the gifts aren't all spectacular gifts. And the gifts aren't all the ones you think like teaching or preaching and things like that. Sometimes it's the small things that are done. Somebody needs to clean the floors and somebody needs to serve the coffee. There's many different ways. Somebody needs to greet the people. We all have different gifts and we can serve in many ways. And so you might feel like, well, I don't really have anything to offer. And my answer to you is, yes, you do. What part of everyone did you miss has a gift or gifts? And so there are opportunities. Also, let the master craftsman rebuild us into Christ-likeness. If there's things that are messing up our lives, let's move away from those. And if there's things we need to add on in order to serve God, the positive things, it's like the old Lutheran prayer we used to say, God, forgive me for the things I've done and for the things I've left undone. Let's put away the things we've done that are harmful for us and others and put on the things and do the things that are helpful to us and to others. And then finally, discover, and I mentioned that, how God wants to use your gifts for community. But one final thought, and the worship team can come up at this time if you could. I mentioned that we're not passive participants in what God is doing in us. And in my years of living the Christian life and my years in ministry, I've noticed that people tend to extremes. Imagine that. <laughs> and one extreme is either we get into this idea that the work we do is all our work and we become kind of legalistic about it and we, have, we follow, rigidly follow a bunch of rules and, and make it about a mechanistic sort of service to God. And that's not what God is calling us to either. But the other side of it, and I mentioned that earlier, is sort of a passive view of the Christian life. I just kind of wait around for God to do it. You know, it's like the old story about the guy in a flood, and he's on the rooftop, and he prays to God, save me, and pretty soon a boat comes by and get in the boat. No, nope, I'm waiting for God to save me, and next a helicopter comes by and get on. No, nope, I'm waiting for God to save me, and he finally dies, he drowns, he goes to heaven, and he said, why didn't you answer my prayer? I did. I said, a boat and a helicopter, what more am I supposed to do? You know, there's a certain part of, of which we have to respond to this, and we put on the likeness of Christ. But we don't do it in our own effort. We do it through the Holy Spirit and in a walk with him. Some translations, even the ESV says, uh, prepared us for, to walk in Christ. The NIV didn't use those words. But it's a walk that we have in Christ. And some weekends ago in our Sunday school class in Galatians, we were talking about grace, and we were talking about this very topic. And, and to, to define 
how we walk and do good works, but in the power of the Spirit, it's a topic that we could spend months talking about. And what is the balance there? But the best example I can come up with was when my daughter uh, was a little girl, probably three years old, and we had a little black cockapoo. And she loved, my cockapoo loved to play tug of war with a sock. You know, you put a knot in a sock. That way she knew which one was hers and not the ones I'm trying to get, put on in the morning. And my, my daughter loved to play tug of war with that cockapoo. Well, that cockapoo was a strong little dog. And that dog was so strong that the minute she held on to that, either it would pull, the dog could pull the, the sock out of her hand or face plant her into the carpet because that dog was that strong. So what dad started to do was sit behind Monica, and I don't know if she knew I was there or not. I don't think she did. And I held the other end of the sock. And as the dog pulled, I'd counter pull. And so Monica would sit there and giggle and giggle and giggle, thinking she's the one doing all this work wrestling with the dog or tugging a war with the dog and being successful with the dog. But in reality, who was it that was doing it? Her father was working with her. And that's the best description I can have of how the Holy Spirit uses us. We have to take hold of the sock. (laughs) But we don't do it on our own power. Prayerfully, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us the power to do the work God has called us to do. At times it feels like we're carrying the load, but if we're followers of Christ, fixing our eyes on him, it's his power through us. And so the path to a more fulfilling 2024, I think, is to recommit ourselves to do the four, which is to do the work of God, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy, and I thank you that you didn't just end it there, but that you work through us and you work among us. And I just pray that in 2024, we might each have a greater sense of your purpose in our life and that we will serve you and do the work that you have prepared in advance for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.